Good morning. My name is Dina Jabour, and I am part of the Chantilly Community Group. I'll be reading this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, and 16 through 31. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezor. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, And not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bezor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, He sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negev, in Jatir, in Erawar, in Sifmith, in Eshtemoah, in Rakal, in the cities of the Jeramalites, 
in the cities of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Borishan, in Athic, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, um, Dina, for reading that, all of those names. Um, I'm reminded she knows some Arabic, and um, she and her husband travel in the Middle East a good bit, so um, you have a little advantage on us. Um, but thank you for reading. We appreciate that. Um, I'm Howard Brown, um, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And, um, you know, with all going on in the news and coming up on um, election season, let me say this is not going to be an easy one. Um, it's not going to be as straightforward as I think some of us want things to be, but I think that's a good thing for us. Um, so we continue in our sermon series in 1 Samuel following the life of David, soon to be King David, who at this point is balancing living as an outcast of his own nation, as enemy number one of the incumbent king, Saul, and a lying double agent Robin Hood type who lives in enemy territory. But most dangerously, David is living without seeking God's help and what to do or where to go. He's just kind of making it up as he goes along. So in this chapter, it is safe to say that God finally gets David's attention. David gets real woke, right? The Bible tells us that when he returns um, from what we saw last week, where he almost gets into a war that he shouldn't, he comes back to the camp to find the city they were hiding out in burned down. And the families of the men who went in battle with him, including his own wife and children, he found them kidnapped and, and all the cattle and money and all the stuff they had taken was, was gone. It was vanished. David was not there to protect them. He had moved them into an unsafe, un, he had moved them into unsafe temporary housing. It made enemies with the area gangs, right? And like some, you know, 1990s John Singleton movie, his gangster ways had caught up with him and his family. He had failed his own people. He had failed his own children. He failed his women, his own community. He had not done and was not able to do what was necessary to protect them. And things get so painful when these men return and find everything going gone, including the, the, their, their wives and their families, right? They get so pain, things get so painful and emotional that the men with him want to stone David, right? They want to cancel him for his mistakes that led to their loss that led to their despair, that led to their new oppression. But the Lord entered into this very pressing and intense situation to show them and us, especially in our cancel culture, social media cancel, cancel culture of passing and executing judgment, that first, God's righteousness is humanly impossible. Secondly, God's righteousness is not always about being right. And finally, God's righteousness is a gift, not a weapon. 
When they returned to find their camp and village looted and burned, David and his men learned right there that David was not enough. He couldn't be in two places at once, that he could not do it his way and be a superhuman double agent and make it work. His deception with the Philistines and himself and his people caught up to him. Why? Because he was limited as a human in handling his fears and desires and disappointments and responsibilities without failing and falling, right? That as the Bible says, we all fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we all fail and will fail and have failed in our callings and responsibilities as humans on earth. Because as some of y'all like to say, we're all trying to do the most. And it ain't working. I watched the director's cut of the DC Comics, Donna Justice, and, and Justin reminded me he was bored, saying, can Sonya just do something in this movie? But, but he didn't watch the, watch the director's cut, so he kind of missed some of the stuff that, that made the action move. Okay, bro? It, it, okay, okay. Anyway, we're not getting into this. I know when you get into the comic book thing, you start debating, and I can't hang. All right, I'm not good enough. And not even Superman in that story, in that movie, could do it all. He had the world to care for. And then whenever Lois Lane get in trouble, start crying, he got to leave. And then balancing being deceptive and being Clark Kent, not showing up to work, right? And not being able to be all the places at all times. And finally trying to figure out what it meant to be Superman, but still an alien. And in the movie, his inadequacies caught up to him, even Superman. And people turned against him because he failed them, because he couldn't manage his life and his place in their lives. All the emotions and politics that went along with that well enough. Superman failed. Well, we all have failed and fallen superheroes in our lives. Parents, mentors, Church leaders, neighbors, authorities, government leaders who failed us, sinned against us, sought their own good and left and let us suffer like David and his people in emotional neglect and all sorts of things happened to us, all sorts of abuses because they were trying to do them and do their own thing and serve us and everything else and it fell apart and we suffered. And we want to, and many of us, have canceled those folks. Like the people David wanted to do. We failed to do it all, uh, you know, well enough. Not, not that, let me explain something. Not that boundary setting isn't healthy. That, that's something we can talk about another time, not on this sermon. That's a little different. But here's the problem. We have stoned our superheroes or stonewalled our hearts and lives and opportunity to, for it to affect us, right, from them. And then disappointed. Here's the problem. Hurt and broken, we turn to another human, most likely ourselves, for help and hope to deal with, to cancel what and who has hurt us, to, to crush our failed Superman and put the righteous, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do me cape on ourselves or on a new person. 
That's called taking justice and righteousness into your own hands. We, we take justifying and healing ourselves into our own hands. And it does not mean that God doesn't use human agency and protest and government to deal out and secure justice. But many of us have skipped the God part and gone straight to taking and putting and picking up our broken situation in this world into our own hearts and then our hands. And guess what we've discovered? We can handle it. We must find help and hope in the Lord for all the disappointments we've caused and all the disappointments that have been done against us. The Bible says this in verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were what? Bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself, and the Lord is God. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Abimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, the Lord did, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. When the Bible says in verse 4, the, the, the people had no more strength, right, the, as they wept. And then it follows that David's wives and family, too, were taken. This is what we are to assume. David was feeling the same weakness and anger and despair as the people were. And when they rose up the stone and turned against him, he was certain to have shared those feelings that he had failed, that he deserved to be stoned. He had to be thinking with himself how badly he had messed up. And it is normal for us to condemn ourselves in those situations, right? To collapse into the black hole of the soul in guilt and anger of letting ourselves and our family and our, our, our husbands or our wives or our children down to, to self-deprecate, right? And David was a runner. Let me tell you, he, it, we'll see some more running he does. He might have even thought, I am so sad and at, that, at the same time so beaten up, so about to get beat down by the people. Understandably, he was pressed on both sides and he had a couple of choices. I don't know if you guys ever used a caulk gun where you kind of squeeze that thing and, and, and the stuff comes out to fill the hole or whatever. Sometimes in this caulk gun, I, I put a tube in and I've cut the top off and then maybe I didn't poke the hole you're supposed to poke in there and the pressure comes from the bottom and, and you know, it's supposed to push the stuff up and outwards and out. But we have all been in a situation where the pressure was all on size that if it doesn't go out, what happens? The bottom caves out. Man, I hate that. You got what? Ah, right? David could have dropped out. He could have dropped out the bottom, either by saying, go ahead and kill me. I deserve it. Or running away. Y'all do it yourself. 
or get defensive and shoot his frustration and guilt sideways right back at the people. You know, he was a pretty good warrior, right? And writer, and and probably, you know, David was one of the best writers. He wrote a good bit of the Psalms, the Psalms, y'all know that. He could have posted something really uh, bad about the people. He probably had a thumbs up repost crew that still backed him up, but God had an out for him that would let his pain and suffering move upward and look upwards in repentance, turning from his way to God's hope and help. The passage is that David asked for the ephod. Now, an ephod back then was like a prayer vest, a robe thing that the priest wore as a tool or means to pray to God. It meant, I'm praying, right? It was like your prayer closet you wore on you, right? But the, let me get a little side here. The Holy Spirit is our ephod now, so we don't need one of those as believers. We pray in the Holy Spirit, right? But it means David was finding strength for the weakness and loss of strength from failure, sin, sadness, pressure, anger, and fear that was coming all at once. He took all of that. He didn't ignore it, right? He, <laughs> he didn't what? Nurse it, curse it, or rehearse it. My mom used to say, don't nurse it, don't curse it, and don't rehearse it, right? He actually owned it and asked God in putting on the ephod to cover it, Lord, to help me and them. I say them because the ephod was not about personal prayer only. This prayer was about what was best for the whole community. David took on the criticism, the frustration, the fear, the anger, wanting to kill and cancel somebody else. He took the sorrow and desire for justice to God and laid it all on the Lord, not just for direction, though, but for his soul. I mean, let's face it. There could have been an all-out civil war like we see brewing in our country right now on social media, in our neighborhoods, possibly on the streets. But David, guilty feeling, possibly defensive. You know he had to be defensive. I'm the one who, who, who saved your people, right? I'm the one who got you all the stuff that got stolen. I know y'all not thinking about stoning me. I'm God's man. He, he could have been defensive, broken, and low. He, took, he could have took justice in his own hands, uh, but, but he put it in the Lord's instead. There's a gospel song I used to criticize a lot entitled Encourage Yourself in the Lord. I made, I used to think, uh-uh, because that's too selfish. But isn't that what David did here? Listen to some of these words. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Sometimes you have to speak victory during the test. And no matter how you feel, speak the word and you will be healed. Speak over yourself. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Sometimes you have to speak the word over yourself. The pressure is all around, but God is present help. As I minister to you, oh, I minister to myself. Life can hurt you till you feel there's nothing left. No matter how you feel, speak the word and you will be healed. Speak over yourself. Encourage yourself. When the song says speak the word, it's talking about God's word, not your words. 
David encouraged himself as he what? Heard what the Lord said. Lord, I'm coming to you. I'll put the ephod. I need to hear your word. To strengthen yourself in the Lord is to be filled and affected by what God has said and promised for you and those who have let you down and have let you down more than your own thoughts and words. Because more often than not, our words, our encouragements are either about self or other deprecation or self or other exaltation when the promises of God are about his love and care for sinners who are broken and messed up and can't pull it together like you and me. Your life, if you and the Lord, is more about what the Lord has and can do and has promised more than your mistakes and more than what they can or have been doing or, or, or how they let you down. That this is more about seeing and hearing and following the truth of God for more than the deceptions and confusion we, bring, we humans bring to each other and trying to be supermen or wonder women or whatever, right? You know what came to me as I was putting the sermon together? That the Lord has more encouraging and amazing things to say about us than you could ever say to about yourself or fail to say to yourself and others. You and I don't have those words. You and I don't have that strength, right? We, we haven't heard the words needed and necessary for us to move on and, and out of the desire to cancel ourselves or others when things fall apart, to help and hope us out of it. The Lord has them and the Lord alone has given them. I don't know whether you've done this in counseling, right? I go to counseling, okay. But my therapist did this thing where she had me kind of speak to myself and she played the part of me, right? That wanted to condemn or self-destruct or throw stones at myself, right? And she didn't know I just read some scriptures around this sermon passage. And I let what I read speak to that. It was a powerful exercise, y'all. And she is not a Christian therapist. And she asked, where did that come from? I don't that you would have that much grace and mercy for yourself and others. I don't. It wasn't me. They were the words of the Lord. I mean, it don't happen often. But it was like, I let God's voice pray over me and others in my life, even those who had done me wrong. It changed this. It changed what I did, right? It, it changed how I would walk for you, your leaders and government and spouses and children and authorities and caregivers and family. I tell you, strengthen yourself in the Lord. You're not going to make it, especially September 2020, right? You know how crazy things are? I want to throw some stones too. I want to break some stuff up too. I want to see people leave office by any means necessary too sometimes but I have to encourage myself in the Lord as my help and hope and not be fueled by my personal hate anger or pain it's the only way we can drop stones because like any fallen human being or any human being we're disappointed in, we must recognize that righteousness, oh, this is a hard one, y'all. God's righteousness is not always about being right. It's a hard one. 
that the righteous, the Christian, can be on the wrong side. And the unrighteous, right, can sometimes be on the right side. How does David even get here? Do y'all remember? David goes from, oh, this guy, this is the one who will be ordained the next king. He's a man after God's own heart. He's righteous. He goes from being on the right side, right, of somebody who is the hope and help for his people to being on the wrong side. Going over to the Philistines, y'all. Y'all remember that? That wasn't right. Let me go ahead and say that. Looting and stealing against people that resulted in the get back and revenge that we see now. And then doubling down on his deception by looking like he was going to go fight with the Philistines. When he did that, he left his first responsibility vulnerable by leaving these people behind. Do I like to say, I know it's a hard one to hear, especially for evangelical, right? David was pro-life, seeking to preserve the lives of his people and himself, but on the wrong side trying to do it. Believers can be righteous, but on the wrong side of the crusader method or means. He was pro-life. Let me save my kids. Let me save my family. You know, I'm a family man. I'm about the nuclear family, right? I'm, I'm all about it. So my means of keeping it all together and keeping them alive, you know, it could be, you could say David's pretty moral, right? He's going to do right by his family. I'm going to provide for my family. You know, I got a work ethic I got to keep up with. So he, what does he does? He goes over to the Philistines to do it. He sells out to a certain party to accomplish what he thought was important. Short-sighted and made unnecessary enemies in doing it. He only had one or two issues. You know how we go to the voting booth. You know how we declare we're righteous. We're on God's side. We got these issues we're worried about, these two issues or these three issues, right? The abortion, sexuality, and uh, the justices, right? Okay, great. You can be on the wrong side trying to accomplish what you think's right. But when God tells him what to do in verse 8, here's the crazy thing. He's back on the right side. Doing the right thing and following God's direction. 600 fighting men set out. But the Bible tells us 200 are too tired to move on and stay with the baggage at the rest stop, if you will. I wonder if this is more than physical tiredness. The Bible says back in verse 4, maybe they, you know, they were emotionally drained. Maybe they just couldn't do it, man. David, look, I can't see no more death. I can't do it. My kids are gone. I, they might be dead. I ain't got nothing. I got to just stay here. And I'm skipping a lot here. We skipped a little bit. They find this Egyptian slave running around who kind of tells them where the Amalekites have taken the people. That's what you missed. But with the remaining 400, they are victorious in beating the Amalekites, getting all the families back and stuff back. Everybody's alive. Everything's good. And when they return from the victory, the Bible says that, hear me, some of the warriors who went all the way with David didn't want to share the war spoils with the ones who stayed behind. They didn't work for it. We don't believe in socialism, right? 
We don't believe in welfare. They wanted to cancel them from rewards or reparation for their lack of faith and courage or loyalty to country and God. To some, they were not as righteous and thus not as deserving. And David, you know what he says? No, they get some too. In fact, they get as much as you who fought get. He is saying, it, it, you know what? Look, this don't sound right to me either. If I go to war, I'm getting a bigger calf, right? I am, right? I'm getting a filet mignon. Y'all get the sirloin because I fought. And David says, no. These folk who didn't act as righteous in the same way as you, let's call them being on the wrong side, just, just for argument, or less than righteous warrior side, are just as deserving. They're counted among the righteous just because they're ours. They're God's people too. But here's the irony of biblical righteousness, right? <laughs> this is so crazy. The men who went all the way with David in the good battle of the Lord, who criticized and wanted to cancel the others were what? Look at verse 22. It tells us, right? It says here, then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go out with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children to depart. Right? They got all burdens. They got to take care of their wife and kids. Yeah, let's give them that. But they don't get no money to actually do it. Right? We believe in nuclear family, but y'all can't get no money to take care of it. Right? Right? We're, we're, we're pro-life but you can't get it because we work for it, right? Okay, I'm trying not to be political here. I really am. I'm just, this is what the scripture looks like is saying, okay? That's another way of saying when they said these wicked, worthless fellows, you know what it's saying? It's another way of saying unrighteous. The unrighteous were actually doing the more righteous thing in their crusade in action, risking and fighting with their king, being completely faithful to the word of God, not as lazy, not as unfaithful as this other arms who exhausted group who just want a handout and welfare. But the people who said that were declared what? Wicked and worthless as being unrighteous. Now hear me now. Not because of what they actually said to the others. They were already wicked and worthless when they went in the battle to do the good thing. As much as we want to justify ourselves, the Bible is not always black and white when it comes to human uh, contrived morality, action, and justice, especially in this fallen world of broken people. And it does not make it easy to be righteous based on what? The Bible does not make it easy to be righteous based on what? You think and see. And thus it is, the Bible is not easy for cancel culture. I want to be part of cancel culture, y'all. I got something I want to cancel every day. I know what's best for our country, right? Because I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. So I know what's best for St. Louis, Kelly. Because I just know. I went to Clemson. I know. Right? But that's how we act. 
right? But the Bible doesn't make it easy for you to cancel because you see some things or two or three things that are righteous. Because the Bible's message, let me tell you something, is super consistent. I'm not saying the Bible's message isn't consistent, but it's controversial. It's controversial for human beings, and it's hard to accept. You see, the Bible teaches that righteousness is something the Lord decides and declares about somebody, that it is independent. Hear me? Oh, my gosh, just some raw gospel today. It is independent of the person deserving it. God's righteous designation is independent of someone earning it by what they do who they do it with or who they did it with and which banner they walk under. Now, of course, their righteous, righteousness might be reflected, I got to give you that, or questioned, the Bible says, or troubling by their behavior. But here's the power of the gospel and the controversial part of the gospel. Their behavior is still ultimately not the final determination of their righteous standing. Now, we're called, you know, to some degree to judge some stuff and say you're living like, a, like this and you're acting like this and your actions may be saying that your heart isn't with the Lord. Sure, we can do that. But righteousness is not salvation through Christ plus our works. Right? No. Righteousness is a result of our salvation in Christ, right? Because the Lord alone examines the heart and knows, and we can't see the heart, not even our own. <laughs> we justify our own heart, but we can't see it. Sometimes I'm surprised what my mind and heart think. Sometimes it goes from here up here, and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm thinking that. Well, with me, sometimes it skips this, goes straight to the mouth, right? Boop. Say it. Out of the mouth, the heart, and sometimes what comes out the mouth, mm-mm. Right? Ask the people who live in my house. Which means before you go on your keyboard to judge someone on your phone or pick up a verbal moral justice stone to throw at somebody, before you standing, start handing out and withholding honors and desserts and putting people up or down, not that you can't make observations and protest and stand for and question things, but I just urge you to be tempered by this and be humbled by this, strengthened in the gospel in the Lord by this. Biblical righteousness is not actually about being or appearing right or on the right side of issues. It is about being unconditionally chosen by and in the Lord adopted and put under his banner of grace. Righteous behavior comes out of actually believing and accepting that more than your own personal crusade of holiness. As King David knew and experienced firsthand, right? Didn't he know it? that he was declared righteous by the Lord, though he had, let me, let me just use these words, though he had been, and as we continue in Samuel, will find himself on both sides of right and wrong, right? This man's life is like a roller coaster. 
we would have canceled him a long time ago. Right? I, I, I would have stoned him. Right? If my family's missing because you act a fool, I'm going to stone you. Canceled. That's how they did it back in the day. Right? Even though he was like this, like us, God would not hear me automatically withhold his goodness, benefits and blessings based on how well David performed or how poorly he chose or how wrong side and driven he might have been. I told you it was controversial. How you treat your children, they act up. You probably treat them a lot better than some of us would, right? We give our kids more than enough opportunities because we love them. Now, God is the perfect father. How do you think his grace and love is for his children? Now, you're not hearing me say that the consequences and penalties and God's discipline for, for, for sin is not part of his blessing, his people. But the Bible tells us that he does not repay or give us what our sins and mistakes have deserved. Do you hear that? And thus, right, and thus we are called to live with that balance and for it to inform how we do judge and talk about and treat others and respond that even if someone suffers consequences, embarrassment, penalty, or discipline for, for wrongdoing, it is not the same thing necessarily as them being abandoned, stoned, or canceled by the Lord. It's hard for me to hear lots of people who have let me down in my life, lots. And I have lived with hate in my heart. I want to fix it by hating them. But I have to believe. Wait a minute. I have to strengthen myself in the Lord and give them over to the Lord as well. God actually has bad behaved kids in his kingdom. And good acting kids that are not truly his. Can you believe it? The honor roll kids might not be God's. And that truth cannot be canceled. No stone can take that away or change that. In the middle of all the abuses and progress for social justice for women and people of color and the poor and the new generation immigration situation or in all the political party events, we must recognize the independent and here's the hard part, involved and impactful nature of the gospel on this life. Because the gospel says no one is righteous. No, not one. And no one can be made or declared righteous over another based on what they have or haven't done. That the gospel is independent and above and rides on its own path and impacts and changes all things all at the same time. And though it might share the rail with something else at certain points for the sake of his people, knowing how much he loves them and that he loves them by grace and not by their works. So the gospels, God work in and for fallen humanity through Jesus, its effectiveness, hear me, is not subject or submissive to social justice movements or moral crusades against the sexually broken. It is not subject or submissive to your political parties. That whole issues we think are more important to God or us or others. Right? It is easily therefore put the it is easy, can easily therefore put the righteous on the wrong side sometimes and the unrighteous on the right side. And it makes us ask this question as David set straight, right? We must ask in how you react and how you stand for whatever you stand for and protest for, 
and post about and what you post against, are you responding like someone who is on God's side by grace? Like it's not based on your works, but on his love. Does that enter in? I know when I put stuff up, the thing that comes, you know, I, I can be kind of cerebral like, like a lot of y'all real cerebral, right? You got the argument figured out in your head. You read the book. You read the, the history book and kindy and you did all this stuff. And you are low. I mean, you are loaded. And you go online and someone say something stupid, stupid in your assessment. You're like, yeah, right? Haven't stopped to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Because to strengthen yourself in the Lord will create weakness in your self-righteousness. You ever approach argument weak? <laughs> Maybe we should approach weak, weakened by God's grace. Because we're strengthened in the Lord for real. So it is right. So is it right to cancel? Is it right to criticize? Is it right to expose? Is it right to condemn? Let me tell y'all, we could do a whole sermon. We're going to do a Wednesday night on, on voting and the Bible and all that kind of stuff. But, so, but I just want you to know there are many guiding principles of Scripture, but here is just one. One of a hundred thousand problems, right? From this passage, God is calling us to treat justice and righteousness as a gift not a weapon. We must use justice and righteousness, God's justice and righteousness, like we actually received it by grace and God's love for us and use it to unconditionally love our neighbor. Look again at verse 22 with me, please. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to get out of here. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children to depart. But David said, you shall not do so. Listen, I speak to them, my brothers. Y'all hear, now hear this next line. With what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given to our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is, is who for as his share is who goes down into the battle in, in the battle, sorry, so shall his share be who stayed with the baggage. They shall share alike. And David made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. After the mean dudes didn't want to share, David strengthened in the grace of the Lord was saying and displaying justice and righteousness as belonging to the Lord and not him. We won, he says, and our people didn't die or perish. We didn't lose anything. Are y'all crazy, he's saying? No, we didn't lose anything, not because I acted right or did right or was on the right side of things. I was anything but. But don't you see? The Lord preserved our people, our wives. He gave back what he shouldn't have or, or deserved to be canceled away from us, back to us under my faulty leadership. He put justice in our hands. He justified us by faith, by grace, so that we would freely give it and offer it to others out of thanks to him and recognition of his goodness, right? We can't withhold what God has given and shown us and use it as a penalty or a test 
or show of what it means to be good, but we are to make good of his grace to us in this world, uh, uh, you know, uh, for this world's exhaustion. Even to you scoundrels, even some of you truly unrighteous. In fact, again, David addressing the brothers, he was calling them into and to God and upwards to more and not just using justice to push them away and condemn them. He could have ordered them to be killed. Let me say this, which means regardless of whether it's in the company of, of Black Lives Matter, Inc., or the Republican Party, Inc., or the Democratic Party, Inc., or a civil rights group of a, or, or neighborhood of varying sexualities, this is what we have to ask. Does what we're called to do in doing free us and present us an opportunity to give the gift of God's justice and grace as he has given it to you and me and desires the world to see it through us. The righteous composition of the group itself is less important than God's justified by faith people acting out, possibly even with it, in gratefulness. Y'all see that? Which means all you have, let me, I gotta lay this down, y'all, because this country lies to us. Not this country, I need to quit saying that, not this country, but some of the culture in this country lies to us. You know what it tells you? You have what you have because you earned it. If you're a believer, you don't believe that. You don't believe that. And if you do, you shouldn't. What you doing here? Leave church. Turn off the TV. Right? If you think you have what you have because of some Judeo-Christian work ethic, get out of here. David's men tried that. And he said, no. We know based on the history of this country that things weren't given because someone earned it. Somebody else got it for free and then it ended up in someone else's bank account. Come on, y'all. Think about the Industrial Revolution. Think about why even Marx did what he did. Because the working class was being crushed. I did a lot of things. I'm not getting into that. But one thing that was driving the socialists of the day and the communists of the day back when it all started is the working class were profit for the rich. And I'm not a communist or Marxist, okay? Let me go ahead and say that. I just want to say this. Your nuclear family, your cute little husband and wife and kids family, Your four two in the cul-de-sac. Your prosperities, your freedoms, your your class, your, your good grade having children. You've not earned it. Whatever you have is a gift. Because you're probably, ain't no probably, you are not good enough to have gotten it, and you're not good enough to have held on to it. God should have canceled you. Right? You mean to tell me everything you got? You, you don't have no secrets in your closet of how you got it? You never lied. You never stealed. You ne stole. You never ran over anybody. You never withheld the little truth. You never fudged a little on your taxes. God should cancel you. you know, I thought about America. I love that song, especially when Ray Charles sings it. And there's this line, God shed his grace 
on thee. You know what that means? That we are not great. Because we haven't been great or good or going to be great again. But because of God's grace to this country, we have been spared of the judgment due it and due to us. Why aren't we canceled as a country? Why? Because we good enough? We're better than France. We're better than Rome was. We're better than all the world powers that are no longer world powers. We're better? No. Because the Constitution was so brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant. But it doesn't make us great. We are surviving in the way and some of the blessings we have are because God's grace is with some of us. In some ways, and some in others. So I'm going to say this. How dare we use and misuse grace and write the righteousness of the Lord to weaponize it against others, to simply fight people, to simply stab them, to simply stone them, to show how wrong they are and how right we are. And you just to build a wall and draw a line around the right ones against the wrong ones where we treat people who are emotionally exhausted like the, the baggage of our desire, like the Bible says there, to have things our way, to treat them like trash. But David is saying, like the baggage of valuable goods, they are ours to carry. That if we have a part of our country and a part of our neighborhood, love your neighbor, right? If there's neighbors and people who are exhausted, they're just tired, they're just done. We carry and own them like our own. And we have great gifts to give. David is saying, use your gift of righteousness not to draw a line but draw people to Christ, right? Not to build a wall, but build a bridge. We don't want to be a people of law and order only or blind socialism. I'm talking about God's people, not talking about the United States. But people of the gift of God's righteous and justice and mercy, that it is not an impersonal government entity giving it, but a person in the Lord giving people grace through an adopted by grace people. Justice frees people to get back up. Did you know that? If what we're doing is just pe keeping people down, something ain't right. God's righteousness frees people to be changed and be redeemed and make way and space and welcome them to continue and join in with God's benefit. And that is a gift of God, not a weapon that stones people and prevents them from living. Let me close with this. Justice and righteousness, believers, will only be a weapon unless you've truly known and embraced the grace of God as a sinner who was adopted and saved by grace. As someone who has let others down, 
That your story is about being let down by whom God gave, right? Love and protection. And that, but God gave love and protection to you while you were in the baggage. Exhausted. Living life with baggage, unable to fix yourself and fix your broken world. That Jesus, like King David, suffered the stones of sin and condemnation do us. And the Bible says that he prayed for our forgiveness. He took on the ephod and from the cross that he lost all strength and encouragement so that we, you and me, can have strength and encouragement as his gift to us. For all the injustice, abuse, and failures we have caused and been done to us. And he brought justice, justification by grace. He worked for it and won it. And now he gives what was used as a weapon against him to be received and given as a gift to bring eternal life to this world. Dear cancel culture, encourage yourself in Christ. You know why? Jesus has canceled your need to defend yourself by yourself. To get justice by your own hands and morals and to fight fire with fire. Our help comes from the Lord and God alone declares us righteous through Christ so that justice and righteousness is no longer a weapon but a gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for confusing us, for not making it convenient for us just to find a little nook or cranny of self-righteousness. Lord, oh, we got people on all sides, people on the left, people on the right, people who want our president to stay four more years, those who want it to end two years ago. We got all kind of people. We got folks who are protesting in the street. And it's irritating others. We got folks calling some people Marxists and others fascist. We got evangelicals being called this and that. We got all kind of crazy stuff going on. But Lord, help us and renew us in the gospel. That it says, no, not one is righteous. And you alone declared us righteous. You alone justified us by faith. Help us to believe that. And Lord, I pray right now, especially for those who don't know you today, whose righteousness it was to do civil rights activism, whose righteousness it was to do your work, but they didn't know your gift of salvation. Heal them. Bring them to you. There are those who've been hurt by parents and mentors and church leaders who failed them. And their whole life is about stonewalling. And that's what keeps them healed. But Lord, that ain't healing. Heal them and bring them to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.